Let's go to God in prayer. Father, you have brought us through another year. And we are on the threshold of the new year 2024. Help us to fill our hearts with thanksgiving for the way you have watched over us, protected us, and guided us. And now we ask you, Lord, as we come in this hour of worship, to hear from you once again all that you want to teach us, all that you want to say to us, so that we may begin the new year with a new resolve, with a new hope, and with new strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At first, I thought that um, I don't need to introduce myself because I thought that most of the people here are from Trinity Church. But better just say that um, I'm Reverend Hua Jen, an old retired pastor. Um, Reverend Shen, who is the pastor of this church, got COVID. So he asked me to take, be stand in. I saw at the last minute. He always joked that the retired pastor like a like a jolop tire, and we know you know what that means, <laughs> right? And um, but we're happy to be here. Glad to see all of you, and um, and to know that so many of you take the time to spend this hour in worship. We are here because it's New Year's Eve. It's nice to be with friends and just bring in the New Year. And like many churches, we are holding a special watch night service. Watch night means because it's the New Year's Eve. So we bid you welcome, wherever you are from, no matter what church background you are, or even if you have no church background. Because sometimes um, some of you may be visiting on holiday, your friend or your family track you here. <laughs> um, so, welcome. But we are also a Methodist church, and we have a tradition of making this service into what we call a covenant, covenant renewal service. This practice was initiated by John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, way back in 1755, almost, what, 280 years now, right? And then some years ago, the Methodist church in Malaysia decided that all our churches should hold this once a year. Some churches have this at watch day service at <clears throat> this time, and some other churches have this covenant renewal service on the first Sunday of the new year. Now, covenant renewal is something that many people do. Um, quite a number of couples who sometimes want to renew their marriage covenant to celebrate their life together and to remind them their own selves that to remain faithful to each other and to the origin, 
no marriage vows. And for us as Christians, as the people of God, we've got to recognize that the practice of covenant renewal goes back all the way to the Old Testament times. When we read that the Jews would observe the Passover annually, not just to remind themselves of how the Lord God rescued them from slavery out of Egypt and make them into a people, a people of God. They were also to annually remind themselves of the Lord's faithfulness and love in choosing them to be His own people and of course to remind themselves that they should remain faithful to God. Of course, sadly, we also know that they didn't fulfill that very well. And what we are doing this evening is extending to all of us here an invitation to renew your covenant with God. Or if you never ever been involved in covenant service like this before, to make a covenant with God, to commit yourself to Him in a fresh new way. And in order to make sure that you are not taken by surprise afterwards when we read, when we make the covenant prayer, or for that matter, to make sure you won't say that you got caught into saying something that you did not mean or you were not prepared for, I want to take us to put a quick note at the covenant prayer first. I want to, and I'm going to read through that with you, and I urge that we pay attention to everything stated in the prayer so that you can ask God to help you to mean what you say and ask God to grant the grace to live out what you have pledged in the prayer. I guarantee you that you will fail because the prayer is such that, humanly speaking, we won't be able to fulfill it properly. We will fail at one time or another. But the Lord our God knows our weaknesses, don't we? And He is a gracious and merciful God who has called us and generously strengthens us and helps us to live for Him and for the world just as Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior did. So what I'm saying is, even as we make the prayer, we will have to say, I really cannot do it. But to tell the Lord, I want to mean it, I want to live it out, I need you to grant me the grace and the strength to live it out. So let's now look at the prayer very quickly. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Put me alongside whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or lay aside for you. Exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. 
let me have nothing. It simply means either it's a whole range, isn't it? Zero or 100% and anything in between. And it's up to God to decide where we are. Okay. So we go on and say, I freely and wholeheartedly surrender all things for your pleasure and disposal. And now, gracious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, it says, okay. You are mine, I am yours. That's a great assurance, isn't it? So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen. So this is the prayer that we can make as a people of God. But obviously, as we do this as a congregation, each of us want to mean it. Okay. And you have to ask, and we will all have to ask God to help us. Okay. And because of this covenant that we can make, I have chosen the passage from Romans 6, verses 15 to 23, as our scripture lesson for this evening. And so even as I speak and you listen, pray that God will help every one of us here by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may learn to know Him better, learn to love Him more, and learn to follow Him more closely. I want to have two main points for just this evening. The first main point is that we are not our own. We are not our own. We no longer belong to ourselves. Paul reminds us in this section that we are no longer under law, but under grace. But what does that mean? Being under the law means that you have to live, live, sorry, live with a whole system of do's and don'ts. What is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad. And living in Malaysia, we can understand that because very, a lot of the practices of the Muslims are very much like the Jewish practices, isn't it? A lot of laws. What's right, what's wrong, what to do and what not to do. But the problem with such a system is that we always tend to focus on the don'ts. When we are small, we focus on what our parents say we cannot do. When we are in school, we focus on what the teachers tell us what we cannot do. When we are now in public, we focus on what the law tells us what we cannot do. We focus on what is what on the don'ts, on the wrong, on the bad. And we fail miserably because we are all sinners by nature. This is precisely the reason why Paul has always emphasized in his writings that no one can be justified by following the law. Of course, this is not just Paul's promise, emphasis. It's a recurring theme throughout the Bible. From the Old Testament, from the time the Israelites got the law, God made them the covenant, they broke the, they broke the covenant. 
And this is true from Genesis all the way to Revelation. We all fail. We fail miserably. We all sin for a very simple reason. We are all slaves to sin. On the other hand, when we look at grace, we are reminded that we can only be justified by receiving the free gift of God. That's what grace is. We cannot earn it. We can only receive grace, receive forgiveness, receive justification from God. We are accounted righteous in God's sight when we turn to God and receive His forgiveness. So the antidote to sin is not doing better. Not working harder. Not trying harder. The antidote to sin is grace. God's grace. And God's grace alone. We have been set free. Those of us who know Christ. We have been set free from slavery to sin by receiving God's grace. But does this mean that we have to become slaves of righteousness? As mentioned in verses 16 and 18. The fact is we now have a choice, isn't it? We either choose to obey sin and subject ourselves to sin or obey righteousness and subject ourselves to righteousness. <coughs> but we modern people have a slight problem, which is actually a big problem. We live in a situation where we have multiple faiths, multiple religions, multiple ideologies. It is hard for us to be willing to accept that there are only two kinds of people in this world. But that's what the Bible says. All people who live are either slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. They either belong to Satan or they belong to God. And those who are under the control of Satan or those who are under the control of God. We know that there are many good people around us, there's no doubt about that, who live good and gentle, kind and gracious lives. But because they do not know God, their lives ultimately are controlled by their own understanding and their own values which is shaped by the values and standards of this world, which is ultimately under the control of Satan. I want to emphasize this. We cannot deny, we will not even try to deny that this world is under control of Satan. And they... And those who do not know God, then they do not belong to the kingdom of God. On the other hand, we know a lot of Christians. Many are good. Some are not so good. And there are some that are terrible, isn't it? You've got to recognize that. But if a person has genuinely received Jesus Christ as a savior, into their lives, 
Then they are under grace. They live under grace. God has accepted them and they belong to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of light. And God will change them however slowly that happens. Some will change faster, some will change more slowly. But as they seek to follow up to God, their lives are changed gradually for the better. And they are being renewed day by day in the truth and the love of God and and gradually they will begin to recognize more and more that Jesus Christ is their Lord and their Master. When they learn to live like that, they actually have chosen to become slaves of righteousness. So that's why Paul says a person is either a slave of sin or a slave to righteousness. A slave to sin because they got no choice. A slave to righteousness because they've chosen to follow after Christ and they have become a slave of righteousness. So the second point I want to look at is the contrast between slaves to sin and slaves to righteousness. We have been redeemed. We have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been bought with a price. So we got to recognize that we are not our own. Before we knew Christ, we are slaves to sin. Now that we, come, now that we know Christ, we seek to become slaves to righteousness, however imperfect we might be. What difference does it make? Very clearly, as said in this passage, in verse 16, being a slave to sin leads to death, leads to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. And Paul says, this is what we were in the past. But now that we have become the children of God, we have chosen to become slaves of righteousness. We have wholeheartedly received the teachings of the Lord. We have been set free to become slaves of righteousness and chosen to be slaves of God that leads us to holiness and to eternal life. And that's what leads to the main point in this chapter. And that is verse 23. And which most of us here, I presume, have memorized. What does it say? For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And those who live as slaves of sin are under control of the sinful self, and they will eventually reap their reward. They will earn their wages, and which is death. But for those who choose to follow after God, who yield themselves to be slaves of God, slaves of righteousness, they will receive the gift of eternal life. It is to be received as a gift, <coughs> not something earned, not even something we deserve. We've got to recognize that, don't we? We don't deserve it, but God has given to us some. (coughs) 
Let me just add this point. There's one thing that... Um, one illustration and sample that the Old Testament gives to us. You know, in the Old Testament times, a person became a slave to another person. Whether they are, whether for whatever reason they become a slave of another person. But in the Jewish law, it's very clear. You, a, an Israelite cannot hold another Israelite as a slave for life. And after the term of service, that slave should be sent free and be given enough to start a new life. But the slave has a choice. He said, you know, my life is so good under my master. I can't imagine myself having a better life on my own. So I willingly choose to become slave of my master. You remember what the, what the rule is? You take an all, A-W-L, a huh? in case you don't know what that is, like a big nail. You take, a, take an all and go to the tent, the tent pole and stick your ear to the tent pole with the all. You're stuck to the tent pole. You're stuck to the master's tent to indicate that you want to be stuck to the master's family. What this, what this reminds us is that if we choose to become slaves of God, slaves of righteousness, we know that there's no better choice. And so don't be so frightened by this passage when we talk about slaves of righteousness, slaves of God you know that you will have no better life than living in God's household. So, what do we do now? As we prepare to look at the covenant prayer, we have the choice to make. We can either say to ourselves, I want to run my own life my own way. I want to live my life my own way. My life is mine, and I have to choose my own destiny. Or you can say that I am not my own. I've been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been bought with a price, the blood of the Lamb, who came to this earth to save me, who came to this earth to show how great the love of God for me is. This Jesus who died on the cross has taken away my punishment. In fact, died my death upon himself so that I may have re received eternal life through him. And I don't want to make another choice except to give myself back to him totally, completely. We need to learn, friends, that by submitting ourselves to Jesus Christ, 
to God's control, we actually have perfect freedom. It's only when we are bound by Jesus Christ, then we are totally free. When we try to run our own lives, we can never be absolutely sure that we have made the right decisions or the right choices. We are taught about, wrecked with all kinds of doubts and uncertainties, wondering what the future holds for you, for your family, your job, or your business in the year 2024, just next year, an hour away. We don't know. And we are troubled by all kinds of doubts. But when we put ourselves into God's hand, there can be no, no other place that offers greater security to you and to me. He who holds the past and the present will certainly hold the future. In him there is no shadow of doubt at all even when you do not know what the future holds, even when you, you do not get a glimpse of what lies ahead, as you trust him, he will lead you unwaveringly, and you will reach the goal he has planned for you even before you were born, or for that matter, even before the foundation of the world. I also to say this, but I thought I might say this. When I answered God's call to become a pastor, I have absolutely no idea what would happen to me. When I was convinced I should stay in Methodist Church, knowing that we get transferred all over the place all the time, I have absolutely no idea what that means. And my family and I have been transferred to towns that we have absolutely don't know anything or anybody in those towns. Looking back, God was always in control. I have no regrets. Jokingly, my children will complain. Okay. <laughs> they all complain anyway. <laughs> But as a family, we are thankful for what God has done in our lives. Talk to one another and see how God has guided you through good times, through bad times. And to be able to look back and say, God was in control all the time. Because when we trust God, we are secure. And there is no shadow of doubt into God's goodness, God's love, God's favor. So friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, trust Him. Give yourself back to Him as willing slaves of obedience and righteousness, as willing slaves of holiness and godliness, as willing slaves of Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, in whom, through whom, there will always be peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so I challenge you to 
to accept this invitation that we are offering to you as a church when we make this prayer of covenant renewal. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now, let's prepare ourselves to make this covenant prayer. It's a pledge, so let's all stand up. Now, as I said, it may be new to you, and that's why you read it slowly. As you read this, you may say, oh, oh, I'm not sure I can, I, I can fulfill that. But as I said, God knows your heart. God knows our hearts. Even when we have doubts, He assures us that He is with us. Even though we know that we will fail and not be able to fulfill everything, at least everything every time, all right? He understands. But He knows that in your heart, you want to commit yourself to Him, to follow Him. And He will accept your pledge. He will accept your prayer. And He will help you. Father God, we ask that you help us, even as we make this covenant prayer, that you guide each and every one of us to mean what we say right now and help us to live this through this in the year ahead. For your name's sake we pray. Amen. So together, let's say this. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will, Put me alongside whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you by, or laid aside for you, exalted for you, or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and wholeheartedly surrender all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be confirmed in heaven. Amen. God bless you all. Please be seated.